0: Amen, amen, amen. Thank you worship team for leading us in worship this Sunday. Man, I love this church. I love this church so much. Um, I remember my first Sunday I was here, I think it was Sergio that was doing the announcements and he said something along the lines of like, you'll notice that we just love being around each other. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Like, sure, whatever, <laughs> but man, that's so true. And if you've been at CBC for any time, you will know that to be true, that we love being around each other and I love you guys so much. Um, I love I love the game nights. I love the salsa nights. I love the enchilada nights. I love the fight nights. I love the, you know, insert the blank. I love it all. And I love being with you guys so much. And I hope that you know that To be able to be here and to uh, preach before you today is among one of the highest honors of my life. And it is something I do not take lightly. And I am so grateful for all of you and the love and encouragement that you've all shown me um, in this process. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Romans chapter five. The passage we'll be reading from today is those first two verses in Romans chapter 5, where it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you, to come before your throne and um, declare how awesome and marvelous and wonderful it is that you are. I pray, Lord, that you would um, work in me and I would be able to show Christ and point um, these people to Christ, Um, the people who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that they will see you in, in the text and in the people around them today. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for this amazing church that you have given us, for the leadership that you have given us and Sergio and Patrick. And we thank you, Lord, um, for saving us when we did not deserve it or earn it, did anything of merit to be able to hold the salvation that we have in our hands. But Lord, you have been so gracious to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would remain so full of thanksgiving because of that fact. It is in your name we pray, amen. It is the 17th of May, 1886, and we're in the Royal Palace of Madrid. The queen consort of Spain, Maria Cristina, is in labor with her third child. She has two older daughters. And six months earlier, the king of Spain, King Alfonso XII, uh, died of dysentery. And the queen was pregnant with that king's child. So the entire country of Spain awaited to see what this child would be. Because if it was a boy, then the throne would automatically go to the newborn baby. If it was a girl, then it would go to the eldest daughter of Alfonso and Maria. It was a boy. Upon, immediately upon birth, the baby was uh, taken from her mother put on a silver platter and presented to the prime minister of Spain. And he was declared to be King Alfonso the 13th. Alfonso would inherit from his father, a kingdom that was in pretty good order, finances in good order, no threat of revolution. And it concluded uh, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Guam, the Philippines. It was quite the empire. And he, and he inherited all of this upon being born into this kingdom, he inherited all of it. Not because of any merit he did on himself. He didn't do anything. He was one day old, but because of who his father is, who his father was, because of who his father was, now he automatically inherited and obtained all of this, that entire empire and kingdom. Similarly, because of our position in Christ, we too, have obtained some things automatically when we come to him. It doesn't matter whether you were saved 50 years ago and you've been walking with Christ faithfully ever since, or it doesn't matter if you were saved yesterday or better yet, it doesn't matter if you come to Christ this afternoon, you will automatically obtain these things that we are going to talk about and that Paul talks about in these first two verses in Romans. You automatically obtain these. Your sanctification level is irrelevant here. The moment you are justified by faith, you automatically have these things. Paul began his letter to the Romans, um, condemning the Gentiles. He tells them in Romans chapter one, that although they know God and it is plain and evident that they know God in Romans chapter one, they deny him, even though they see his eternal power and divine nature, even though they see all of that, they yet deny God. Speaking to primarily a Jewish audience, Paul then flips the script on them. He then says, hey, you Jewish people, you're also guilty in Romans chapter two. You say, do not boast and yet you boast. You say, do not steal and yet you steal. You say, do not lie and yet you lie. So in the first two chapters of Romans, Paul has condemned all of humanity. Both the Jews and the Gentiles are guilty before God. And in case you missed his point, Paul then goes on to say in Romans 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. He will conclude in Romans 3, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But this is when, in this middle section in Romans 3, this is when Paul begins his message of the gospel. And says, even though you are guilty before God, I have good news to bring before you. And that good news is the doctrine that we're going to be talking about. This doctrine of justification by faith. That is, that one is made right with God, as in right legal standing before God by one's Notice what it says in our text today. Therefore, having been justified by faith. It doesn't say justified by going to church or justified by being a good person or justified by getting good grades or justified by being a good parent. But it says that you are justified by faith, nothing added on. You are made right with God and declared innocent before him and therefore no longer guilty based off of your faith. Paul makes this emphatically clear in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, where he says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You are made right with God by your faith. And it is crucial that we understand this doctrine because if we don't understand this doctrine, then the entire passage that we're going to read today doesn't make any sense. This is the context of the chapter that we are reading in. And it is that you are justified by faith. That brings us to Romans chapter four, where Paul points out that justification by faith has always been the case. He points to Abraham and David declaring that they too were justified by faith. They weren't justified by their works or else they would have something to boast about, but they don't. They also were justified by faith. So if anyone is going to appear before God and be in right legal standing before him, that person, the only way to be justified and declared innocent is by simply having faith in Christ and nothing added on. And that leads us to chapter five of this epistle, where we see the immediate consequences of this justification by faith. I'm going to list, or Paul's going to list uh, three things that you automatically have Once you are justified by faith and born into this kingdom. The first thing we see is in verse one, where he says, therefore, having been justified by faith. Here it is. You ready? We have peace with God. Here's number one. Number one is that you have peace with God. And this peace is through whom? It is through our Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of peace naturally entails that there was war that previously, before you were justified, you were at war with God. Now you, now you're at peace, but previously you were at war and war and peace naturally involves at least two parties, two or more. And in this case, it involves two parties. It involves man and it involves God. And these two parties are at war. We're gonna look at both parties today. Let's start with man. Man is by nature at enmity with God. I'm gonna read a bunch of, uh, I'm gonna read some scripture references. You don't have to turn there. Um, Drop them down if you want, but I'm gonna read a bunch of scripture references to get home this point that we are by nature at enmity with God. Romans 8 verse seven, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it is not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Ephesians 2.3, among them too we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Ephesians 4.18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Isaiah 53.6, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Colossians 121, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in civil deeds. So before there can be peace with God, something has to happen on the respect to man's heart because in respect to man's heart, you're naturally at enmity with God. You are naturally opposed to the things of God. So something needs to happen to our heart if we are ever going to accept peace in this war. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ changes our heart. He has more than changed it, he gives us a new heart. Second Corinthians 517 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away and the new things have come. When you are justified by faith, you are given a new heart and your heart that was once at enmity with God, which was opposed to the things of God, has now been given a heart that desires to see God glorified. This is what you have upon being justified by faith. And now you are willing to accept peace on your end. I had a coworker one time who told me, he was like, hey, Christian, I don't have a problem with God. You know, like, you know, God does his thing. I can do my thing. You know, no issues here. And, you know, you Christians, like, yeah, you can, you can do whatever you want. Like, you do whatever you want. I'll do whatever I want. You know, no problems here. Now, that's not true. You, you do have a problem with God. But let's pretend for the moment it is. It's not. And I think I made that clear in the scripture. However, let's pretend that it was. Your problem isn't even so much that you have a problem with God. Your bigger issue is that God has a problem with you. Again, I'm going to list a bunch of uh, scripture references showing that God wrath is upon those who are not justified by faith. Romans 1.18, where it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Nahum 1, 2, the Lord is avenging and wrathful. Romans 2, 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. So before there can be peace, something has to happen with respect to God's wrath. God's wrath needs to be appeased. Because if God is to remain a just and holy and perfect God, he can't necessarily just go around forgiving everyone. For example, let's pretend that you are riding in my car later this afternoon and somehow you end up breaking my window. I can forgive you all I want, but at the end of the day, I still have a broken window and someone needs to pay for that. And it could be me, or it can be you, or it could be some third party. But at the end of the day, someone needs to pay for your sins, because you committed them. And if God is to be a just and holy and perfect judge, then he knows this demands justice. So the question becomes, how can God forgive the sinner and thus appease his wrath and remain just at the same time? How can he be just and the justifier? How can he be just while justifying? And that is what we see In Romans 3, starting in verse 24, where it says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in who? Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, that is appeasement, in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. So that, he would be just and the justifier of who of the one who has faith in Jesus since you could never pay for the sins that you have committed and the only one that could reach god's standard is god god sent himself in the person of jesus christ to pay the price that you couldn't you couldn't afford and you can never hope to afford But God sent Christ to pay on your behalf because he loves you. And when Christ paid that price, now that wrath has been appeased. And now God is just in justifying you. So before there can be peace with God, man's heart needs to be appeased or man's heart needs to be changed, excuse me. And number two, the wrath of God needs to be appeased. And both of this is the reality that you now live in. Once you come to Christ, the moment you are justified by faith, now you have peace with God. Whereas once you were at war and alienated before him, now you are at peace with him and his wrath no longer abides in you. And this is the good message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that now you are at peace. Romans 5.9, to wrap it up, says, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The moment you are justified by faith, number one, we have peace with God. Number two can be found in verse two, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Here's the second thing you have. You have obtained your introduction. Number one, you have peace with God. Number two, you have obtained your introduction. Depending on your translation, your translation may say access. I believe one translation even says entrance. Um, Both of those are perfectly uh, fine and good translations. I do like the way the NASB and the LSB puts it, uh, introduction. It says, introduction is a, it's a royal court term. For example, one cannot simply go talk to King Charles. You can't just waltz up in there and say, hey, King Charles, what's up? You're not allowed to do that. You need an introduction to go speak to him. And we do this all the time in a little bit less formal ways. We'll say, hey, can you introduce me to your friend? Why? Because your introduction adds merit to my case. Now, because of your introduction, I am able to go to this person who previously I was not able to go to. So I need your introduction if I'm able to go to them. And Paul says that we have obtained our introduction through Jesus Christ. That he introduces us to the Father. When I was in the military, I had, um, I had a boss, he was a major, Major Wise. He's actually listening to this uh, live stream right now and he um, he walked in one day. He's like, kadia follow me. So I get up, I go follow him. We're walking and we get to this meeting and immediately, like literally right when I, right when I crossed the threshold of those doors, a staff sergeant there is like, Corporal Kadiyah, what are you doing here? Because this is all like high-ranking members, right? I should have not. I was a lowly corporal. In case you guys don't know the military rank structure, let me lay it out for you real quick. You got corporal, which is down here. This is me, all the way down here. And then, then you got staff sergeant, which is a little bit above. And then you got Major, Major Wise, who I was walking with. And he's all the way up here, right? I walk in. Staff sergeant's like, Kadiyah, what are you doing here? And before I could even say anything, Major Wise says, he's with me, staff sergeant. And Staff Saran goes, oh, good to go, sir, and completely leaves. So just as you cannot go talk to King Charles and just how I couldn't casually waltz into that meeting today, you cannot simply just approach God. You need an introduction. And we have obtained our introduction through whom? You notice in verse two, where it says through whom, that whom there is talking about who it was in verse one, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Through whom our Lord Jesus Christ, we have obtained our introduction. Jesus Christ introduces us to the father and we cannot approach the father apart from Christ. That is why Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth and the life and none comes to the father except through me. In order for you to approach God, you need to be introduced by Christ. And whereas previously you were the beggar outside of the palace, now you have been invited in to feast with the King. And just like how that staff's are and you gonna say anything to me, now no one can say anything about your spot at this table. But isn't this the person who used to persecute Christians? Yeah, he's with me. But isn't this the girl who really struggled with learning in school? Yeah, she's with me. But isn't this the person who comes from a long family lineage of divorce, after divorce, after divorce? Yeah, she's with me. But isn't this the person who used to have that drug addiction? Yeah, he's with me. But isn't this the person? Fill in the blank. And Christ says, He's with me and because now you have been introduced properly by Jesus Christ, the son of God, no one can question your place at this table. I like, I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says, understand that you have as much right to be feasting at this banqueting hall as anyone else because you have been introduced by the son of the King and there is no higher introduction possible. When I was in the military, I often spent um, time away from. I grew up in Fresno, so I spent time away from Fresno, obviously. And in um, November and December, Thanksgiving and Christmas would come, and I would. And we'd also we we'd often spend time in other people's homes for Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? And if you've ever. You guys know what I'm talking about, and these are these. Are, I want to point out these are well-meaning people, and I love them to death. I love them to death. Oh, I love them to death. These are well-meaning people who took me in while I was in the military, and I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna try to prove a point here. You have the table, right? And and you like, and we're like, oh, we have we have this person who's usually not with us, you know, not really part of our family. Um, let's get let's get one of those like folding chairs from out in the back and like you know stick it in the corner, right? And like, oh, there you go, you know. Um, are they really nice? You know, one of them will sit in the in the in the in the corner chair, and then you get one of the seats, right? Um, and that's and that's so sweet of them. But I want to point out that that's not you at God's table. You're not some distant cousin or some charity case, but you are a son and a daughter of the King. You have your proper seat at this table. So what? So approach the throne of grace with confidence. Your prayer should be bold and have be full of assurance and be full of confidence. Not because of any merit on your own, but because of who introduces you. You have been introduced by the son of the king. So now you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Whereas previously you couldn't. I love the way uh, Theodorus uh, puts it about Martin Luther's prayer. He says, I overheard him in prayer, the him being Martin Luther. I overheard him in prayer, but good God, with what life and spirit did he pray? It is with so much reverence as if he were speaking to God, yet with so much confidence as if he were speaking to his friend. And now this is the confidence that you can have. Why? Because Because you have been justified by faith. Whether that was yesterday, 50 years ago, but if you are a Christian in this place, you have, and you live in that reality. You can now approach that throne and you are no longer the beggar outside of the palace, but you are a son and a daughter of the King at your proper place at the table. And Paul could have ended it there. that had have been a great point. Could have ended it there. Great theology, pack it up, go home. That's awesome. Great job, Paul. But it doesn't end it there. He says, we have obtained our introduction by faith. And he adds on this clause at the end, into this grace in which we stand. So not only are you in grace, not only have you obtained grace and been introduced by grace, but you stand in this grace. One translation says, in which we are firm, that is completely immovable. Standing here in place, I stand here. Whereas once you were in Adam, now you are in Christ. Whereas once you were under the law, now you are under grace and this place of grace and in Christ is where you stand completely immovable. When you are justified by faith, you have won peace with God, two, you have obtained your introduction and three, you can rejoice in God's glory. And this is the last clause of verse two where Paul says, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. That word exult can be a Translated as rejoice, boast, even glory. Translation it says, and we glory in the glory of God. Um, all great translations. But we have this tri- triumphant, triumphant, jubilant praise because we've been justified by faith. And what is it that we're rejoicing over? It's the glory of God. That's what we rejoice over. The glory of God is what we Rejoice over! You all know the Beatitudes well, I'm sure. And um, my favorite Beatitude is Romans chapter of Romans, Matthew, Matthew five, verse eight. Jesus says, "Bless are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." I've had a tendency in the past to kind of like read that and be like, "Cool, next, right?" Um, but to the Jewish audience that Jesus was preaching to their jaws would have dropped at that statement because any Jew knows that you cannot see God and live. One cannot see God. You would, you'll recall the story of Moses, right? Where Moses says, show me your glory, Lord. And God replies, you can't see my glory or else you're going to die. So he needs to show him like a small portion of his back as he's passing by. And that's all Moses is able to see That's Moses. But here's the thing, when Jesus says that you will see God, he means what he says. You, Christian, will see God. And scripture testifies elsewhere that we will see God. Again, I'm some verses for you. John 17, 24. This is Jesus praying uh, to God the Father. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Stephen saw his glory in, um, if you remember in Acts 7, right? But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And perhaps my favorite scripture referencing the glory of God is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, where Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know just as I have been fully known. We're gonna do a new exercise. All right um, think of your favorite memory and while you think of it and if I've noticed if memory is too much like pressure for you like too much stress, I get it right to think about really good memory, right think of that let me get a drink of water I've noticed I've done this with a lot of people now um, asking them like favorite memories and stuff like that and I've noticed that um, the older crowd tends to know right away. And, and you, would, you wouldn't think that's the case, right? Like kind of logically you wouldn't think that's the case because you'd think like, oh, well, they have more memories. It's probably harder to choose, right? But it's usually always, as far as I can tell, whenever I ask people their favorite memories, it usually has something to do with either their wedding or the birth of a child is usually their favorite, is usually their favorite memory. Um, those in the younger crowd usually don't, usually don't really know. They kind of struggle more with that question. They're like, oh, well, that Christmas was really cool. Um, <laughs> And uh, that family vacation, you know, that was cool, I guess, you know. Um, but whatever it is, right, just think of, think of whatever your greatest memory was. Maybe it was your wedding. Maybe it was the birth of your child and holding your first child for the first time. Um, maybe it was a family vacation and where you saw these beautiful sights or whatever. Um, maybe, it, maybe it was a Christmas. Um, whatever it was, right? Just think about that and think about, um, think about the feelings that you felt in that moment. Again, I've asked people, um, this question a lot before about the feelings that they felt in that moment. Um, I often get, um, love, comfort, peace, joy, and these feelings at very intense levels. Like I felt peace at such an intense level and love at such an intense level and joy at such an intense level. And whatever it is for you, just think of that and how you felt. Uh, when Patrick was preaching through Revelation, it was a while ago now, right? It's like, I don't know, it was a while ago. And you'll recall, you'll recall towards the end of the series, he told the, he gave the Narnia um, example, the Narnia story, right? And I'm gonna, I'll paraphrase it for you guys again, in case you forget. Uh, it's the last book in the Narnia series. And I think it's the, I believe it's the second to last chapter. I might be wrong on that. You can fact check me later. Um, and the gang, they get to they get to new narnia they don't really know it's new narnia yet but they're looking around and they're like this grass it's like the grass in old narnia but it's better and those mountains over there they're like the mountains in old narnia but they're better and those clouds they're like the clouds in old narnia but they're they're better and one of the was it, an eagle, I think? One of the eagle characters, like, flies up. He soars around. He comes crashing down to the ground. He stomps his, not hoof, eagles don't have hooves, claw? I don't know, right? Claw? He stomps his claw into the ground, and he says, I have come home at last. The reason why we love the old Narnia so much is because sometimes it looked like this. And the reason why you love those memories so much, whatever it is for you, the reason why you love those memories so much is because sometimes it looks like heaven. And even those best memories that you've had is just a mirror dimly. The security you felt as you fell asleep in your parents' arms when you were a kid is just a mirror dimly. All those nights with your friends when you would laugh so hard, your face would start to hurt is just a mere dimly. When you got married and had that first dance with your spouse, just a mere dimly. The astonishment when you held your first child is just a mere dimly dimly. That is why Paul could say in Romans eight eighteen, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God's glory far, far outweighs the sufferings that you're going through right now. And as, and as painful as they are, and as heartbreaking and as much heartache and as much sleepless nights as they cause and they do hurt. They are still nothing when you compare it to you seeing God's glory. And hey, Christian, this is what you rejoice in, that you will see God's glory. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Turn with me there. I'm going to do it all the time. Okay, cool. Luke chapter 10, we'll start in verse 17. <clears throat> uh, quick context of Luke ten seventeen. 17. Uh, Jesus sends out 70 uh, people in groups of two to proclaim the gospel in the kingdom of heaven, um, that the kingdom of heaven has come. Um, they come back in verse 17, starting where he, where it says, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, this is Jesus talking. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. This is really good news if you're in that group of 70, right? Like this is terrific news. Jesus is saying that you will be able to tread on serpents and scorpions and Satan and they will not be able to trample you, this is really good news, but Jesus doesn't stop there. And he continues, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in the fact that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in the fact that you can tread on serpents and scorpions and all of this. That's not how you rejoice in Jesus says, he says, verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Christian, this is what you rejoice in, that you will see God's glory and you will be in paradise with him for all of eternity. And you always have this when you're a Christian, no matter the trials or sufferings or persecution, or you name it that you're going through, you always have this to rejoice in. You will always have and be able to rejoice in the fact that you Christian will see God's glory and God's glory far outweighs whatever trials and sufferings you are going through currently. Last verse, last verse for y'all. Um, turn with me to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, verse 29. I think it's the last verse. Okay, yeah, it's the last verse. Romans chapter eight, we'll start in verse 29. You know, you know the passage well, it's a very famous passage. Um, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul makes the jump from justification to glorification. And we shouldn't forget to make that jump either. If one day you are to receive your glorified body and you are to see God's glory and be with him in paradise, then you must be justified. And in fact, the only way to have any of this is what we talked about, any of what we talked about today is to be justified by faith. And if you are not justified by faith, and you don't have this, if you are not a Christian, you haven't put your trust into Christ, you don't have peace with God. You are still that beggar outside the palace and you have not obtained your introduction, and you cannot rejoice in the fact that you will see God's glory. But the good news is here. You can receive that justification and all you need to do is put your trust in Christ, and you will be justified by faith. And the moment you are, you will have these things. So I beg you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled with God. For those of you that are uh, followers of Christ, remember where we started in that palace in Madrid, with Alfonso being born. Alfonso would end up mo- would end up losing uh, much of the territory in his uh in his empire. He would lose uh, Puerto Rico, he would lose the Philippines, he would lose Guam, he would lose Morocco. In fact, there was this battle at Morocco and he wasn't there, he was off golfing in France. And his officials came to him and said, um, King, your majesty, we lost, we lost Morocco. When we lost all these thousands and thousands of men. And he, his reply was literally chicken meat is cheap. As you can probably assume, he wasn't really popular among his subjects. And because of that, he would end up losing most of his empire and eventually get overthrown by military dictator Francisco Franco. And this is where our story differs from Alfonso. Whereas Alfonso was born into a man-made kingdom that was subject to the whims of this world, we have been born into an eternal kingdom where David says about God, "'Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power "'and the glory and the victory and the majesty "'forever and ever.'" Alfonso keeping his position relied on his performance, but yours, Christian, does not. You will remain in this kingdom of heaven because the one who can never be overthrown is ruling it. And we can remain confident in our position now because of what Christ has done on the cross. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for what you have given us through your son, um, for loving us so much and for introducing us um, through him. Lord, we did not earn any of this by any merit, by any clever scheme of ours. But because you are so gracious and loving and worthy of the glory, you have given us this chance to be able to feast at this table, not as a cousin or distant uncle or some stranger, but as a son and as a daughter. And because of that, Lord, we rejoice that one day we will see your glory. And we await that day eagerly, Lord. Until then, Lord, help us to remain faithful to you in our walk today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our time here. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.